Amen. Good morning. Good morning. We're in Numbers 24, if you want to turn that direction. We're finishing our series on the, the life and the craziness of Balaam today. And next week, remember, God willing, we're going to turn to the book of James and spend, you know, 54 weeks there. So, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just acknowledge your spirit and your presence in this place today. And, Lord, the church has taught and the scriptures teach us that this Bible, these scriptures are God-breathed. This is your word to us, that this word is living and active. It's sharp. So, Lord, today we come under this word. We ask that you would mold us, shape us. Lord, as a people, as a church, we want to serve you with all our hearts, Lord. So use us in this time. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come on, we welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the word today. Church, if you just tell them, say, I need you today, Lord. I need you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And everybody says amen. Amen. Well, as we turn away from this section of scripture, we conclude the study of, of Balaam his oracles or prophecies. I want to zoom back out just for a minute and kind of re-wrap our minds around the overarching themes. We started to study Balaam's account, remembering that there are three times in the New Testament where we're warned of the way of Balaam or the error of Balaam. You remember that uh, Peter and Second Peter told us to be aware of the way of Balaam. Jude told us to be aware of the error of Balaam. And Jesus, speaking to the churches in Revelation chapter 2, told us to be aware of the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam. And so we approach this this story, understanding the New Testament on three occasions, expects us to understand who Balaam is and what the errors of his life are, and from there we were to live our lives accordingly. We've seen so far that Balaam has had some profound revelations. This pagan sorcerer, he stands and proclaims that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. He's told us that the blessing of Abraham from Genesis chapter 12 over the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, it's sure and eternal and no curse or no witchcraft could ever revoke God's good pleasure to bless and care for the people of Israel. And today we'll read his final uh, oracle. Remember, he, he gives us three oracles um, to Balak as he's, he's paid to try to curse Israel, he gives three oracles. And then today we're going to study the plus one, the bonus. And in the bonus oracle, he's going to say, I see him, but not near. I see a king, but not soon. And so Balaam's going to begin to prophesy the coming of a messianic king. But in the midst of all of this revelation... Right, Returning to this idea of Balaam's error. In the midst of Balaam coming to see that Israel is blessed, that Israel will have a king who will establish an eternal kingdom that will stand forever. In the middle of all of that, Balaam's still totally rebellious. R.C. Sprawl, who uh, passed in the last couple of years, was a wonderful preacher. If you're listening to all the modern preachers today, turn them off and turn on R.C. Sproul for me, okay? Just for a week. Do it for me. Sproul, he um, approached this 
text from Matthew 7 and from Luke 6, and he called it the scariest passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. One of the scariest. And it's the idea in Luke 6, Jesus says, Many come before me and say, Lord, Lord. When you call, when you call Jesus, Lord, Lord, you're calling him Master, my Sovereign, my King. And the concepts of Lord, Lord imply that you actually love him and follow him. You're a part of his kingdom and he's your master. But in Luke 6, he says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. And then he, he turns in Luke 6 to this uh, parable. Remember when he says, those who hear my word and do them are like those who build their house on the rock. Now in the Middle East, think of Israel um, sandy, right? Desert land. To build a house, you'd have to dig deep, dig. And he says, um, there's a wise man who hears my word and he digs deep to lay the foundation on the rock. That there are some who hear, who really hear Jesus. There are some when they say, Lord, Lord, they mean it. And they build their lives under his authority and in his dominion as a part of his kingdom. And when the winds come and the rain comes, they cannot wash away their house because it's built on an eternally secure foundation. But many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? But they'll turn and build their lives on the sand. They will not take the time to dig deep, set their roots in Christ. And when the winds come and the rains bring flood, their houses will be destroyed. Now, Balaam is the ultimate hearer who doesn't hear. Balaam's the ultimate. Remember in the last oracle, so the first two occasions when Balak says, come curse Israel, the scripture says he, he builds sacrifices and then he calls Balak, let's offer seven bulls and seven rams and then I'll go through the motions of sorcery and we'll try to call on this God. But the third time, remember, it's the scripture says that he does not turn to seek oracles, but instead he goes to the wilderness alone. Because he realizes that God is the God of Moses. He's the God of prophets who walk with him. He's not a God who enjoys or participates in sorcery. So, so, so far, Balaam's begun to lean out of sorcery and to realize that God's looking for friendship and real relationship. But when it all is said and done, we'll find that Balaam turns his back on the Lord and we'll read from Joshua that um, Balaam's ultimately murdered along with the enemies of Israel for his rebellion. Balaam is the ultimate one who says, Lord, Lord, who had some knowledge of who God was, but refused to build his house on rock. Sproul called this a scary text, a warning to all who hear. Now, again, let's turn to Numbers 24. We're going to read the bonus oracle, the last oracle. This will be our last week thinking about Balaam. And we're going to read a text that the early church really enjoyed. The early church fathers um, saw this as messianic prophecy, as did the rabbis. Um, saw this as messianic prophecy. And so they, they really loved this pagan sorcerer declaring that there's a day coming when a king would rise from Israel, destroy all of God's enemies, and establish a kingdom forever. We know him to be Jesus. Verse 14 of chapter 24. And now behold, I'm going to my people. Come and I'll let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. Balaam saying, behold, I'm going home now, Balak. Come and I'll give you one more oracle to let you know what your people 
uh, will experience in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and he said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. The oracle of the man whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High. Who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Seth. Edom will be dispossessed, and Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities." Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and he took up his discourse and said, Enduring in your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Ashur takes your captives away. Ashur is Assyria. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come for Kadim. And shall afflict Ashur and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam arose and went back to his place, and Balak went along his own way. So Balaam says to Balak, Arise, let me tell you how this is all going to end. Let's take, you know, two minutes to remember what we've learned thus far. We saw in one of the first weeks of this study that archaeologists have found um, in Israel in caves, stories of Balaam, this pagan sorcerer, interacting with the gods. And so we recognize that even outside of the biblical text, Balaam is a historical figure who history calls a great sorcerer. And so we realize that Balaam is known for his effectiveness in witchcraft. So as Israel is encamped at the plains of Moab, They're getting ready to cross the Jordan and to go into the land and to fight with the Canaanites. They're encamped in the plains of Moab. Balak, the king of the Moabites, says, this people will destroy us. We have no ability to fight with them. But I know what we can do. We can call Balaam, that great sorcerer. We'll pay him and we'll get him to come curse these people. And then we'll be able to conquer them. And so Balaam comes, and you remember the narrative. Balaam comes riding his donkey, and the angel of the Lord stands in the way with the sword. And Balaam is so spiritually blind and dull that he doesn't recognize that the angel of the Lord is about to take his head off. The donkey sees, though. So again, the imagery of the text is the great sorcerers of the nations, those great witch doctors that many flock to to come for information and revelation. God calls them dumber than donkeys. So as Balaam arrives to Moab, Balak has gathered the Midianites, his neighbors, and the Moabites and the Midianites now are going to pay Balaam, the great sorcerer, in hopes that he will curse this people Israel. Now, so far, every time Balaam comes to curse Israel, what we found is that Israel is wonderfully blessed in the promise of Genesis chapter 12. We said last week that this entire narrative is really an exposition or an expounding upon what God promised to Israel in Genesis chapter 12 when God told Abraham, look up and try to count the stars. That's how numerous your children will be. The nations of the earth will be blessed in your descendants. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, I am giving you the land. And so, so far, every time Balaam, the sorcerer, stands to curse Israel, instead of cursing, all he can say is, look at these people living in the desert and how well fed they are. They're raising babies in the heat of the Middle East. Their shoes don't wear out. They have magic heavenly bread that falls every morning. They follow fire by night and cloud by day. Their God really, really loves them. And so rather than cursing Israel, Balaam's going to give us a great theological explanation of who God is and how much he loves Israel. And so he says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. In other words... When God blessed Abraham, he blessed him forever. He's going to say there's no curse that could ever be pronounced upon these people. Remember, he says that God goes before Israel like a wild ox. And so every time they go to battle with their enemies, God throws their enemies to the wayside. And now... Finally, as we turn to the final revelation of Balaam, okay, he's going to say to Balak, come Balak, I haven't been able to curse your people, but come and let me prophesy to you and tell you what's going to happen in the latter days. He opens by saying, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. So again, remember that this is a great sorcerer. The extra biblical information we have about Balaam from caves, and there's stories written about him in plaster, tell us that Balaam interacted with all kinds of demonic gods. When people needed rain or needed blessing, they would call Balaam this great witch doctor and he would come practice some kind of sorcery to try to stir up pagan deities. So I, I, I say that Balaam has a doctorate in world religion. Okay, he knows all about religion. But he doesn't understand Yahweh until these encounters. And when he comes to see Yahweh, the scripture told us in the final oracle he gave to Balak, he no longer sought omens. He didn't practice witchcraft but he sought God on the basis of relationship. That's how Yahweh invites us to live. And he says, as he sought God, he began to call himself Balaam, the man whose eye is opened. Meaning, before I was blind, but now that I've spoken with Yahweh, my eyes are open. The one who hears the words of God. This is the same introduction he gave us last week, except for he added this one line, this one piece of information. He says, who knows the knowledge of the Most High. So now Balaam's calling himself a man of revelation. A man who has spoken with God and knows the knowledge of the Most High. What is the knowledge of the Most High? What is the great mystery of God that Balaam has stumbled into? What does he know? He knows that there's a king coming. So he starts by saying, I see him. Who is him? He hasn't introduced us to a him in all of his oracles yet. But now he opens by saying, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Balaam says, I have knowledge. There is a him 
who is coming. I have revelation through the Spirit. He is rising. So far, he's told us that Israel is blessed. Abraham's promise stands. God is sure and true and just. But now he's telling us that there's a single king who will rise out of Israel. Now, that's significant information because Israel doesn't have a king. They've had prophets. Moses is their prophet. They're getting pretty close to transitioning to Joshua, who will be the next leader of Israel after Moses. But then we'll have years of judges, right? The Samson and Samuel, Deborah. Then it's after these judges, hundreds of years later, that Israel will have her first king. But Balaam's saying, I have secret divine wisdom. It's prepared in the heart of God to raise up a king for these people. He says, I see him, a star from Jacob and a scepter from Israel. Balaam sees a man who will rise up in Israel and will be a star from Jacob. A star. Calling this coming one, this coming king, a star becomes messianic imagery throughout generations. Israel's king will be a star. So in in Israel's history, we see times where where rabbis will declare a man... um, to be Messiah, for instance, a man named uh, Simon Bar Kokhba, his name means son of the star. That was a nickname that a rabbi about 100 years before Jesus gave a zealot who was trying to overthrow Rome. And so when a zealot rises up to try to push Rome off of Israel, the rabbi says, this is the son of the star. Now, of course, he wasn't successful and was not the star. Jesus in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, the conclusion of the thing says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So even here in the very conclusion of the text, the conclusion of the scriptures, Jesus is referencing, pulling us back to this Balaam imagery in which the Messiah would be star. And Jesus says, I am the bright and morning star. We've talked about this in a prayer night recently, but I just throw it out here for us. The idea of the morning star, we don't really understand too much in our culture, but the morning star is typically uh, Venus or Mercury. Um, uh, It's a planet typically that appears right before sunrise. And so, you know, um, we always say that it's darkest right before dawn. And so if you are wading through the night in total pitch black darkness, and it feels, imagine you don't have your iPhones, you don't know what time it is, just dark. You're waiting for morning, you're laying in bed. When the morning star appears, that planet, Venus or Mars, Mercury, comes into the sky, the shepherd knows dawn is about to break. So when Jesus calls himself the bright and morning star, he says, when the nations see me, then they will know that dawn is coming. When the nations look upon my brightness and brilliance and glory, then you will know that a new day is approaching then you will know that there's renewal and restoration and redemption in me. When the nations look on me, then they will understand the coming kingdom of healing and peace and life. And when you feel depressed and like everything you're living in is darkness, and when you feel tired and weary, look on him and remind your heart that there's a new dawn approaching quickly, swiftly. Balaam says a star is rising. And then Balaam says, 
a scepter from Judah. So this king, this him, who is not now, but is coming, this king will be a star from Jacob and a scepter from Judah. So Jacob is the father with 12 sons. Judah is the son who Jacob blessed at the end of his life and said in Genesis 49, 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of all peoples. So here we're referring to to Genesis when Jacob blesses his sons and Jacob says, a scepter will not leave Judah and the nations will come and bring obedience. So Balaam says, there's a star of Jacob and then watch, he moves from father Jacob to son Judah, a scepter from Judah. And so we're getting imagery again about the, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the conquering king who will rise from Judah's tribe, the scepter from Judah shall not depart. Okay, so a scepter in, in ancient imagery, you think of Moses' staff, Pharaoh, you know, you see imagery of, of Pharaohs, they always have staffs. The scepter or the staff is imagery of dominion and authority. The man with a the, with the staff is the man with the, the authority. So Balaam says, from Judah's tribe, one will rise who will have the scepter forever. No one in all of history will ever be able to snatch his scepter out of his hand. This coming one, I see, but not yet. He will have eternal forever authority. And the nations of the earth will come and worship and bring their obedience. And hell will rise and froth at the mouth. But she will never snatch authority out of Jesus' hands. He will have it forever. Balaam, I see the star of Jacob, the bright morning star of Jacob. And I see the scepter of Judah rising up. What does he see the star and the scepter doing? That's the next question. So he says, I have knowledge. I have secret information. Revelation. Here's the revelation. In the heart of God, God is raising up a king. He'll be a star from Jacob, a scepter from Judah. And this is what he will do. He will crush the head of Moab. Remember that Balak, who he's prophesying to, is the king of the Moabites. The last thing you want to hear is that God's getting ready to crush the head of Moab. All of Balak's dominion, his empire, and his life's work will be crushed by the heel of the coming king. Now, we understand the way that biblical prophecy works. And so, in, in many ways, as you watch the unfolding of the Old Testament, these prophecies are fulfilled particularly through David. David is a, a pre-Messianic figure, right? He's probably the greatest pre-Messianic figure in all of the Old Testament. So David will go to war with Moab and conquer Moab. We're going to see David fighting with these tribes. But beyond David, there is an even fuller picture of Messiah. But the first thing he says is that the Messianic king will destroy, will crush Moab, the cursor of Israel. Then Balaam's going to turn to other nations. He's going to start to rattle off. He's a little bit of a distracted preacher, okay? So we're going to have to go with him here. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. What does that mean? That means that Israel's going to come and take their land. Israel, God's people, they're going to drive out the enemies of God. Israel is doing valiantly, he says. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. There will be one from Jacob who shall establish authority 
And everyone who rises up against him, tries to contend with this Messiah, shall be destroyed. This king will have final authority and possess the nations. Then he looked on to, uh, to Amalek, and he took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among nations, but its end is utter destruction. Amalek is, in this, in this hour, the strongest nation known. They are the, 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 superior, the superior empire. So Balaam turns and looks at the strongest people who feel confident in their military strength. They feel confident in the security of their government. They feel confident in their economy and their ability to produce goods and establish themselves as the head of the nations. Balaam turns and looks at the strongest nation of his day, and he says, you'll be destroyed. Utter destruction. And then he looked on to the, to the Kenites. The, the Kenites, for seasons, they would bless Israel, but then the other seasons, they would curse Israel. They were very much in it for themselves, if that makes sense. When it was beneficial to them to be on Israel's side, they would. And when it wasn't, they'd be destroyed. So he looks to the Kenites and he says, um, Enduring in your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. What does that mean? Their city is in the mountains. They feel very secure by their walls. They're nestled in a mountain and they feel like the walls of the mountain are giving them great security. And, and Balaam says, keep resting in the security of your mountain. You're still going to be destroyed. Balaam says, Ashur will take you captive. Now again, Ashur is Assyria. And we know that Assyria is the rising kingdom, right? Who's going to take Israel into captivity long after David. Ashur is going to take the Kenites captive. God's going to raise up this nation and take them captive. And then he said, alas, who can stand when God does this? Or when God uses Assyria to destroy the nations, who can stand? How great will be the destruction? But then he concludes by saying, but ships shall come from Katim and shall afflict Ashur and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. In other words, Assyria will master the nations, and then when God's done with Assyria, Assyria will be destroyed. And we obviously see that in history, right? Assyria rises up as the master, Assyria is cut down. Now, what is the point of this discourse? Why does Balaam tell us, I have knowledge there's a king coming, a star from Jacob, a scepter from Judah. He's going to destroy all the enemies of Israel, all the nations. What's the point? He is saying that there is a coming eternal kingdom that will have dominion forever. He will dispossess all the nations and establish himself as the victorious king of the earth and the nations, the nations who look strong and proud, the nations who hide themselves in the security of their military or the security of their uh, landscape, the nations who are confident in their own ability pr to protect themselves will be utterly destroyed. Everything that God has not built will be shaken and will fall. He is saying that there is a coming day when the only thing that will stand is the kingdom of God. He is saying that the kingdom of this Messiah is totally forever. Enemies will rise, they'll be smushed. Enemies will curse him, they'll fall with great power. This kingdom will spread and spread and spread until it has dominion over the entire earth and everyone who rises his head up against it, all those who put their trust in their national identity or the ability of their national security to keep them safe will be finally destroyed the only rock to build your life on is Jesus Christ. The only safe place to hide 
is in the kingdom of God. Everything else will perish. You can have a retirement account. You should. You should handle your money wisely. But there's no promise that that's going to carry you through. You can build your life on networking and relationships and try to establish through your networking some ability to care for yourself and your children. There's no promise that that's through. Your health, you can build your life on the strength of your back. Or you can build your life on your intellect. I'll be creative and innovative and I'll make a living with my ability to think well. That can be taken from you in a moment, ask Nebuchadnezzar. The only place to build your life with eternal fortitude The only rock to hide yourself in that will keep you forever is in Jesus Christ. And in a sense, Balaam is telling us, look at the nations. Look at their strength. Look at their courage. Look at their their military power. All of it's temporal. All of it will be burned up in an hour. All of it will vanquish before this king. Now, so here we're learning the secret knowledge of God that Balaam's uncovered is that a king is coming who will establish a forever kingdom who will destroy all of the enemies of God. And we're learning that we have an invitation to come and build our house here. We mentioned at the start of this series that Balaam, after all of this revelation, after all of this this encounter with God, all this information that he receives, that he's going to still turn his back upon God. He started to understand that sorcery is weak and that Moses-like relationship with God, remember we kept talking about at the beginning of the series, that there's this idea that Balaam and Moses are pitted against each other in this text, right? All of Numbers is about Moses and so uh, Moses' leadership. And so all of a sudden we get this turn where we start talking about this great sorcerer and we're being shown that the prophet of God is far superior to the sorcerer of the world. So Balaam's begun to understand that and he starts to lean into relationship with God. He says, Abraham's blessing is sure. God is true and cannot lie. The people of God are held in perfect security. The king of Israel will establish a permanence, a foreverness. Yet in all of this, Balaam still turned and betrayed Yahweh. We put the pieces together from Numbers 25 and many other places in the New Testament, or the Old Testament. Where essentially what we understand is that when Balaam was unable to curse Israel, you remember this? He comes to Balak and we piece this together again from the text and he tells Balak, I cannot, I cannot with sorcery curse this people, but I can tell you what you can do. Send your women down to the Israelites. Send the Moabite women down to the Israelites and try to entice them with lust. And if you can get those Israelite men to marry these Moabite women, it'll only be a matter of time before they're worshiping Baal. And lo and behold, in Numbers 25, we find Israel worshiping Baal. And so the idea here is that Balaam stands up and says, God is sure, he's true, he's forever, Israel can't, uh, their blessing can't be revoked. But in their covenant, there is this thing that if they begin to worship other gods, God will judge them. And if you'll do this, block, if you'll try to entice them into relationship with Moabite women, it's only a matter of time before their God will judge them. And here, Balaam's practicing the heart of sorcery, manipulation. Right? He's manipulating. 
And the text tells us in Joshua 13, 22, we actually see this in several places in the Old Testament. Um, again, Balaam's a theme. Joshua 13, 22. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, he was killed with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. So when Joshua's in leadership and they're destroying the nations, they're driving out the Canaanites, God calls Joshua and the people of Israel to make sure that they take the head of Balaam. Because Balaam had all the revelation, but he never truly made Jesus his king. The idea is this. The blessing of Abraham is opened up to us in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the seed of Abraham, and any who come to Jesus will have the same blessing that Israel lived in in the wilderness upon their life. You can have the blessing of Abraham in Jesus. Furthermore, the idea that we receive today is that Jesus is establishing a forever kingdom that will reign for eternity. The earth will be renewed and that you are invited to participate in this kingdom. You're invited to build your life under the authority of King Jesus. You are invited to love him, serve him, call him Lord, Lord with sincerity and to have peace, joy, everlasting life, living water, rest in Jesus. But if you choose to have that information and turn your back on God anyway, you'll be destroyed. That's the declaration of the gospel. That's the declaration of the scripture from start to finish. I'm sorry that it's not declared often in our nation, but that's the, that's the word. The coming kingdom, the coming king, when he invades your shores, the shores of your life, you got two options. You can fight with him and be destroyed, or you can surrender and be blessed. I'm calling you today to surrender to Christ Jesus, to build your life on the rock, which is Jesus. The only eternally safe place to be is in his kingdom. The only kingdom that will stand forever is the kingdom of our God. So when Peter and Jude and Jesus himself tell us, beware of the way of Balaam, they're telling us, don't be a person who hears Revelation, who has knowledge. Don't be an individual who can recite the gospel message, but you never truly live under it. And here we kind of stumble into James saying that faith without works is dead, or the idea that saving, we're, we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. The idea that, that we don't earn the kingdom, no one gets into heaven because they lived a perfectly righteous life. It's a free gift of grace, wonderful gift of grace. But when you come to real repentance in life, you start to submit yourself under the dominion of God. And if you never submitted yourself under the dominion of God, if you never really made him Lord and really received his kingdom, then you might be living in the way of Balaam. You might be living in Balaam's error. You might have all the right information while you build your house on the sand. Church, the invitation for you and for your children and for your grandchildren is to live in the blessing of Abraham. Your invitation is to live in the kingdom of Jesus. There is a new covenant better than the Mosaic covenant in Christ Jesus, one where forgiveness is fully offered. Your sins are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Live in this covenant, in this heavenly kingdom where moth and rust can't destroy, where the enemy will never snatch the scepter out of Christ Jesus' hand. But all those who choose to follow the way of Balaam will be destroyed. Those are the words of Jesus. 
in Revelation chapter 2. Why don't we bow our heads and pray, and we'll move into a time of ministry. Lord, as for our house, we want to build this church on the rock, which is Jesus. We want our lives to be submitted to the kingdom of God. We want to hear this gospel and live under it fully. Lord, may our hallelujahs, may our praise be so sincere. Come on, Jesus, I don't want to just bless you with my lips. I want to bless you with all of me. I call you Lord. Come on, church, tell him, I call you Master. I love you. May no one else steal our affections, Lord. May no other God have our affection. May you alone be worshipped. Lord, we ask that you teach us to live in the blessing of Abraham. Teach us to live in this new covenant. And may the kingdom of Jesus be established forever. Lord, may this kingdom spread here in our region. May the rebellious come to repentance. We love you, Jesus. Come on, just tell them, I love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. All the saints say amen. Amen. Amen.